0: Chapter 16 of The Star Chamber, An Historical Romance, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Star Chamber, Volume 1, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Chapter 16 of The Sign Given by the Puritan to the Assemblage. Meanwhile, a great crowd had collected beneath the window, and though no interruption was offered to the speaker, it was easy to discern from the angry countenances of his hearers what was the effect of the address upon them. When he had done, Hugh Calvary folded his arms upon his breast, and sternly regarded the assemblage. He was well stricken in years, as his grizzled hair and beard denoted, but neither was his strength impaired, nor the fire of his eye dimmed. Squarely built, with hard and somewhat massive features, strongly stamped with austerity, he was distinguished by a soldier-like deportment and manner while his bronzed countenance which bore upon it more than one cicatrice showed he must have been exposed to foreign suns and seen much service there was great determination about the mouth and about the physiognomy generally while at the same time there was something of the wildness of fanaticism in his looks he was habited in a buff jerkin with a brown lacquered breastplate over it thigh pieces of a similar color and similar material and stout leathern boots. A broad belt with a heavy sword attached to, it crossed his breast, and round his neck was a plain falling band. You could not regard Hugh Calveley without feeling he was a man to die a martyr in any cause he had espoused. A deep groan was now directed against him, but it moved not a muscle of his rigid countenance. Jocelyn began to fear from the menacing looks of the crowd that some violence might be attempted, and he endeavored to check it. "'Bear with him, worthy friends,' he cried. "'He means you well, though he may reprove you somewhat too sharply.' Beshrew him for an envious railer,' cried a miller. "'He mars all our pleasures with his peevish humors. "'He would have us all as discontented with the world as himself, "'but we know better. "'He will not let us have our lawful sports "'as enjoined by the king himself on Sundays, "'and he now tries to interfere with our recreations on holidays. "'A pest upon him for a canker-bitten churl.' "'His sullen looks are enough to turn all the cream in the village sour,' observed an old dame. "'Why doth he not betake himself to the conventicle and preach there?' old Greenford cried. "'Why should we have all these bitter texts of scripture thrown at our heads? "'Why should we be likened to the drunkards of Ephraim because we drink our wits and ales? "'I have tasted nothing more than my morning cup as yet. "'Why should our maypole be termed an idol? "'Answer me that, good grandsire,' Gillian demanded.' "'Nay, let him who called it so answer thee, child, for I cannot,' the old farmer rejoined. "'I can see naught idolatrous in it.' "'Why should our pretty May Queen be despoiled of her ornaments because they please not his fanatical taste?' Dick Taverner demanded. "'For my part, I can discern no difference between a Puritan and a knave, and I would hang both.' This sally met with a favorable reception from the crowd, and a voice exclaimed, "'Aye, hang all knavish Puritans!' Again, Hugh Calvary lifted up his voice. Think not to make me afraid, he cried. I have confronted armed hosts with boldness when engaged in a worse cause than this, and I am not likely to give way before a base rabble, now that I have become a soldier of Christ and fight his battles. I repeat my warnings to you and will not hold my peace till you give heed to them. Continue not in the sins of the Gentiles lest their punishment come upon you. These are fearful times we live in. London is become another Nineveh, and will be devoured by flames like that great city. It is full of corruption and debauchery, of oppressions, thefts, and deceits. With the prophet Nahum I exclaim, Woe to the city! It is full of lies and robbery. What griping usury, what extortion are practiced within it? What fraud, what injustice, what misrule? But the Lord's anger will be awakened against it. Palaces of kings are of no more account in his eyes than cottages of peasants. He cutteth off the spirits of princes. He is terrible to the kings of the earth. He knoweth no difference between them that sit on thrones and those that go from door to door. For what saith the prophet Isaiah? I will punish the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. Let the great ones of the land be warned as well as the meanest or judgment will come upon them. Methinks that smacks of treason, cried Dick Taverner. Our Puritan has quitted us, poor fowl, to fly at higher game. Hark ye, sir, he added to Hugh Cavalli. You would not dare utter such words as those in the king's presence. Thou art mistaken, friend, the other rejoined. It is my purpose to warn him in terms strong as those I have just used. Why should I hold my peace when I have a mission from on high? I shall speak to the king as Nathan spoke to David. He speaks like a prophet, cried the miller. I begin to have faith in him. No doubt the iniquities of London are fearful. If he preach against extortioners and usurers only, I am with him, Dick Tavener said. If he rid London of Sir Giles Mampasson and his peers, he will do good service. Still better, if he will put down corruption and injustice as exhibited in the court of Star Chamber, eh, Master Jocelyn Monsensy? At the mention of this name, the Puritan appeared greatly surprised, and looked round inquiringly till his eye alighted upon the young man. After regarding him for a moment fixedly, he demanded, Art thou Jocelyn Mounchensey? The young man, equally surprised, replied in the affirmative. The son of Sir Ferdinando Mounchensey of Massingham, in Norfolk? inquired the Puritan. The same, Jocelyn answered. Thy father was my nearest and dearest friend, young man, Hugh Cavalli said, And thy father's son shall be welcome to my dwelling. Enter, I pray of you. Yet pause for a moment. I have a word more to declare to these people. "'Ye heed not my words, and make a mock of me,' he continued addressing the assemblage. "'But I will give you a sign that I have spoken the truth.' "'He will bring the devil among us, I trow,' cried Dick Tavener. "'Tis to be hoped he will not split the maypole with a thunderbolt,' said the miller. "'Nor spoil our wits and ales,' cried old Greenford. "'Nor lame our hobby-horse,' said one of the mummers. "'Nor rob me of my wreath and garlands,' said Gillian." "'That he shall not, I promise you, fair May Queen. Dick Taverner rejoined gallantly. "'I will do none of these things. I would not harm you even if I had the power,' the Puritan said. "'But I will discharge a bolt against the head of yon idol,' he added, pointing towards the flower-crowned summit of the Maypole. "'And if I break its neck and cast it down, ye will own that a higher hand than mine directs the blow, and that the superstitious symbol ought not to be left standing.' As to what we may do, or what we may acknowledge, we will give no promise, Master Hugh Calvary, rejoined Old Greenford, but Ian let fly thy bolt if thou wilt. Some dissent was offered to this singular proposition, but the majority of voices overruled it, and withdrawing for a moment, Hugh Calvary returned with an arbalist, which he proceeded deliberately to arm in view of the crowd, and then placed a quarrel within it. "'In the name of the Lord, who cast down the golden idol made by Aaron and the Israelites, I launch this bolt!' he cried, as he took aim, and liberated the cord. The short, iron-headed, square-pointed arrow whizzed through the air, and by the mischief it did as it hit its mark seemed to confirm the Puritan's denunciation. Striking the maypole precisely at the summit, it shattered the wood, and brought down the floral crown surmounting it, as well as the topmost streamers.' The spectators stared aghast. Be warned by this, thundered Hugh Calvary with gloomy triumph. Your idol is smitten, not by my hand, but by his who will chastise your wickedness. Whereupon he closed the window and departed. Presently afterwards, the door was opened by an old, grave-looking, decently clad serving man. Addressing Jocelyn, who had already dismounted and given his horse in charge to the youth, engaged for a similar purpose by Dick Tavener, This personage invited him, in his master's name, to enter, and with a heart throbbing with emotion, the young man complied. Chance seemed to befriend him in a way he could never have anticipated, and now he hoped to obtain an interview with Aveline. His conductor led him through a passage to a large chamber at the back of the house, with windows looking upon a garden. The room was paneled with dark shining oak, had a polished floor, an immense chimney piece, and a molded ceiling. Within it were a few high-backed chairs and some other cumbrous furniture, while on an oak table at the side was spread the simple morning repast of the Puritan and his daughter. But all these things were lost upon Jocelyn, who had eyes only for one object. She was there, and how lovely she appeared! How exquisite in figure, how faultless in feature! Some little embarrassment was discoverable in her manner as the young man entered, but it quickly disappeared." her father was with her and advancing towards jocelyn he took him kindly by the hand and bade him welcome then without relinquishing his grasp he presented the young man to his daughter saying this is jocelyn the son of my dear departed friend sir ferdinando manchesi some inscrutable design of providence has brought him hither and right glad i am to behold him years ago his father rendered me a signal service which i requited as best i could "'and there is nothing I would not gladly do for the son of such a friend. "'You will esteem him accordingly, Avalon.' "'I will not fail in my duty, father,' she replied, blushing slightly. "'And Jocelyn thought these words were the sweetest he had ever heard pronounced. "'I would pray you to break your fast with us, "'if our simple fare will content you,' said Hugh Covelly, pointing to the table. "'I am not over-dainty, and shall do ample justice to whatever is set before me,' "'Jocelyn replied, smiling.' It is well, said the Puritan. I am glad to find the son of my old friend is not a slave to his appetites, as are most of the young men of this generation. With this they approached the board, and a lengthy grace being pronounced by Hugh Calveley, Jocelyn sat down by the side of Aveline, scarcely able to believe in the reality of his own happiness, so like a dream it seemed. End of chapter 16